I don't know if a scene like this looks familiar at all to you. A couple of times a week, I find myself sitting at a restaurant, kind of at a table like this, probably a few times more than I should, but uh, sometimes it's, you know, just sitting with a friend, just kind of catching up or talking about church and ministry and life, or sometimes it's with my wife and my kids. The only difference when it's with my wife and kids is there are usually crayons all over the place and cracker crumbs, and we leave quite a mess on the floor when we go. But, you know, when you sit down at a place like this, the trick is deciding what do you want to eat? You know, what, what's good and, and what sounds good? I mean, what, what do I want to order? I mean, what is the one thing that will satisfy me? And if you're hungry and you sit down at a good restaurant, then everything looks pretty good. I mean, I've got some favorite restaurants. I went to Ruth's Chris one time. That's some good eating right there. Really enjoy that, that experience. Uh, I went to this buffet the other day on 96th Street called The Journey. This place is crazy. If you haven't been there before, it's like a sinful amount of food uh, on this buffet. I don't know how you're supposed to decide. And then if it couldn't get any worse, I mean, you're already full. You top it off. They have a chocolate fountain. Like there's a fountain that literally pours chocolate off the sides and you dip a little bit of everything in it. And uh, it's good. It's really good stuff. But, you know, with all of the choices, it kind of gets intimidating. You know, I mean, what am I going to choose? Or if I don't take that now, what if they take it away and it's not here when I come back for the second time around? So I got to put everything that I might want now on my plate. I mean, there are so many things that could go wrong. I mean, especially when you're ordering from the menu. I mean, what if you make the wrong selection? So it's kind of tough trying to decide what to order. I mean, what's the one thing on the menu that will really satisfy my hunger? And so if you're like me, uh, you investigate a little bit. You might say to the server, hey, you know, what do you think I should get? I mean, if you put yourself in my seat, what are you ordering today? Or if you're sitting with someone else, you don't want to get stuck wanting what they have, so find out what they're getting. You know, that might help in the decision. But this is the trick. If you're really desperate, here's what you do. Before you order, you get up from your seat and you kind of walk around the restaurant nonchalantly and just kind of look at what other people are eating. And you know what? So what if you want to bump into one of them and just say, hey, by the way, how's your food? Is it good? Is it worth ordering? You know, I mean, you do everything that you can because you want to make a good decision. I mean, what's the one thing that will really satisfy? I mean, it's a hard decision to make. But it's kind of an accurate picture of life, too. I mean, we're handed a menu, and there are all of these options that we can choose from in life that promise satisfaction. I mean, what does it for you? I mean, what, what do you give yourself to? What, what are you ordering these days? You know, every once in a while, we'll look to see what other people have ordered in life, and we think, you know, if I could get what they have, then I'd be satisfied. I mean, if I had their success, or if I had their marriage... Or maybe if I had their home or their car, if I had that paycheck, if I had that life over there, I'd be satisfied. And sometimes we order things, we order something and we realize that it's not really what you wanted. Yeah, I mean, you kind of wish you would have gotten the other thing. You, you kind of think, I, I wish I would have married the other girl. Or if only I had taken that job transfer. Or if I would have made that investment, you know, then I'd be satisfied. And so we live with regret. You know, because what we ended up with isn't what we really wanted. And sometimes we order things that we know were not good for us. I mean, we go for the fattened stuff. We go for the fried stuff. And we walk out afterwards and we don't feel very good about it. We're stuffed, but we're not satisfied. And we think, why in the world did I order that? Well, thinking about life, I mean, what is it that really brings satisfaction? I mean, is there one thing that you could order that would truly satisfy your soul.
If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. We're in this series called the I Am series, and we're looking at these statements that Jesus made about himself in the Gospels, these I Am statements. And these I Am statements do a couple of things for us. First of all, they teach us a little bit about who Jesus is and what he came for, but they do something for us as well. They help us see how we can relate to Jesus. And it's with these statements that Jesus made that he, he answers some of life's biggest and some of life's greatest questions. You know, questions like, who is going to strengthen me? I mean, who's going to help me in my day-to-day, you know, journey, getting through this life? Who's going to give me the strength that I need? And Jesus says, I am. I am the vine. I'll be everything that you need. I am the vine. And, and you know, we ask the question, well, who's going to direct me? I mean, who's going to show me the way? Who's going to be my compass to make sure that I'm on the right path in this life and that I get to the right place? And Jesus says, I am. I am the way. I am the only way, the truth, and the life. Well, this morning we're going to ask the question, who is going to satisfy me? And in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus answers that by saying, I am. I am the bread of life. He who eats of me won't hunger again. Well, let me kind of set up the context a little bit of what's happening here in John chapter 6, because for the last couple of weeks, we've spent some time just outside the days before Jesus' death on the cross, and today, we're actually rewinding a little bit earlier into Jesus' ministry here in John chapter 6. And in John 6, Jesus has just crossed the Sea of Galilee, and when he gets to the other side, he finds that there's this large crowd of people waiting for him. And this is probably the peak of Jesus' ministry and the peak of his popularity. It was before he had made some outrageous claims about himself and who he was. And he's doing all these miracles. And, and people are hearing about the miracles and his popularity is increasing. And, they, and so these people come, they come here. The Bible tells us that there are 5,000 people present, 5,000 men present. So we add to that children and women. Most likely there's a crowd of at least 15,000 people that have gathered to hear Jesus preach in what we call John. Chapter 6, and every one of them came to see the miracles and they came to hear from this great man that they'd been hearing all about. Well, at some point in the day, Jesus recognized that the people were getting hungry. All right, when a crowd gets hungry, they're not happy. And I can look out every once in a while in the 1045 service and I can tell when you're getting a little hungry. You know, you start moving around, you're making these faces like, wrap it up, guy, you know, let, let's, let's get on with it, let, let's close it off. I think it's kind of why, you know, supermodels, when they walk down the runway, have angry looks on their faces because they're hungry. You know, I mean, they weigh like 43 pounds, you know, they haven't eaten in weeks and they just want something to eat. So Jesus notices this. He's looking around and he sees the angry looks and so he says to his disciples, disciples, they're hungry, what should we do? You know, where are we going to go for food? And Philip says, well, you know, I mean, even if we rounded up all the money, even if we had eight months of wages, it would really only be enough to give everybody one bite. That's not going to do anything. And then Andrew comes up and he walks up with these five loaves of bread and two fish. You might remember the story from, from your kid days in Sunday school or something. And, uh, you know, he, he says, hey, I, I came up with five loaves of bread and two fish. And, and maybe for Andrew, his plan was to feed Jesus and feed the disciples and let everyone else worry about themselves. Or really, maybe he believed that Jesus was going to do something really cool. And the Bible tells us that Jesus did. He did something really cool. He does. And he takes the five loaves of bread and he feeds the entire crowd. And look at verse 11. It says, Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated. Now look at this. How much did he give them? As much as they wanted. 
So they were leftovers. I mean, this is a buffet. This is a smorgasbord. Jesus gave them as much as they needed, as much as they wanted. He gave them everything. He met their need by filling them on this occasion. And later that night, the crowds fell asleep, and the Bible tells us that Jesus and his disciples got back into the boats, and they crossed back over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to the city of Capernaum, and then the crowd woke up. And they woke up the next morning, and they realized that Jesus wasn't there. His disciples had crossed the lake, and in verse 24, it says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats, and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. But why were they searching for him? Why were they searching for him? I mean, what did they want? Why did they want to be close to him? I think they were hungry again. And I think they went looking for Jesus because they wanted more to eat. And their meal ticket was on the other side of the lake, and so they went to find him. But there's something else that's here. I think there's an obvious spiritual truth. And I think it's something that a lot of us have experienced. And that is that there's a difference between being stuffed and being satisfied. There's a difference between being stuffed and satisfied. I mean, they were full physically, but they weren't truly satisfied. I mean, it's kind of like you're back at the table. You know, you're sitting in the restaurant, you're looking over your menu, you're trying to decide what to order, and, and the server might say to you, well, how hungry are you? How hungry are you? And, you know, that can, can determine what you get off the menu. I mean, let me ask you this question this morning. How hungry are you? And I'm not talking about Wendy's after church or Steak and Shake or Culver's or anything like that. But how hungry are you right now in your life for more, for answers, for a greater purpose? You know, we... we I think for many of us, our souls are, are starving. Uh, we are starving, and, and we don't even realize it because we've just stuffed ourselves with these cheap substitutes. I mean, it's kind of like going to a cheap pizza buffet. You know, I mean, it seems like a really good idea when you walk in and they hand you your plate and it's unlimited trips to this, this pizza buffet, and you stuff yourself with this pizza, this bad, cheap pizza that tastes like cardboard, and then you walk out afterwards, and you're stuffed. But you're not satisfied. You know, and in life, many of us have stuffed ourselves with these appetite suppressants, and we don't even realize that our souls are so malnourished. Do you remember that popular NBC TV show, Fear Factor? Huh? You remember Joe Rogan and Fear Factor? A few people, probably everyone. Well, I wasn't a faithful fan by any means, but I always found that if I were watching TV the night that Fear Factor was on, I'd usually get stopped. I'd get stuck watching a little bit of Fear Factor. And my favorite part in the TV show was when they had to eat the gross stuff. All right, I'm not going to lie, but it did stuff to me as well. I mean, there were times, I can recall one particular occasion where I had just eaten dinner and I, I had to get up and walk away because I thought we, it was coming back. It was coming back up. I was gagging as I was watching these people eat this disgusting stuff. But what always surprised me was how the contestants just couldn't believe what was happening. You know, like they had never seen the show before in their life. You know, what do you mean we got to eat something nasty? I mean, you knew when you auditioned for the show, if you got on, you were going to have to eat something disgusting like a hissing cockroach or a, a spider or cow brains or that part of the pig that I won't mention in public, you know, here this morning. But, but 
what also amazed me was how much they had to eat of it. I mean, it wasn't like just take a quick little sample on a toothpick or, you know, nibble on it a little bit. I mean, you had to eat all of it. You had to eat every bit uh, of the entree. So imagine yourself, okay, you walk onto the set and this contestant has just eaten like an entire jar of like pickled cow brains or something, and you walk up to them with like a porterhouse steak from Ruth's Chris and offer it to them, and they're not going to take it. You know, I mean, their, their appetite has all of a sudden changed. They wouldn't want it because they're stuffed, you know, but they're certainly not satisfied. And I think that's a pretty good picture of where most of us are or can be spiritually. You know, we've just stuffed ourselves with the things of this world, and yet we don't realize well, we still have this deep spiritual hunger. Why are we always looking for more? I mean, what is it for you? What, what's your diet right now? I mean, what have you stuffed yourself with that, that hasn't proven to come through for you? Or, or what are you stuffing yourself with right now? I mean, maybe it's video games. You know, and I know that sounds silly, but there are people that do that, you know? I mean, I don't have a problem with a video game, but, but some people are just stuffing themselves with things like video games. Or, or maybe you're stuffing yourself with work right now. You know, you put 60 to 70 hours in, you do that, it keeps you away from home, gives you something else to focus on. I mean, you set your sight on a prize, on a goal. Maybe it's, it's the person you're dating. I mean, maybe for you it's sex right now or money. Whatever it is, whatever the combination, it's really only masking the true hunger that you have inside of you for something else, for purpose or for direction. And in John chapter 6, Jesus wants to move this crowd from the hunger of food to a hunger for more of God. I mean, they've asked him for food. And look how he responds. Verse 27. Jesus said, don't work for food, meaning don't long for or pursue food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So Jesus knows the deep inside, and whether they're, whether they're willing to admit it or not, that this crowd's looking for satisfaction. You know, they're looking to be satisfied, but he knows that there's a deeper hunger in them that needs to be addressed. And, and he can make bread come down from heaven. Jesus could make the bread appear supernaturally. But if the people are only coming to him for bread, then they're missing out on a much deeper satisfaction than only he can offer. And so there's another question. You know, put yourself back at the restaurant table. You know, you're sitting at the table trying to order. And maybe the waiter, you know, server might say to you, well, what are you hungry for? I mean, hey, there's a breakthrough idea. You know, what are you hungry for? I mean, because if you're hungry for Mexican, which is my personal favorite, don't order Italian, you know? I mean, what are you hungry for? What is your appetite these days? Now, think about it from a spiritual perspective. What are you hungry for in your life right now? I mean, what is it that you most crave? What are the greatest questions that you have and the answers that you're looking for? What's the direction that you need? What do you want to hear from God? What are you hungry for? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus is saying, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. The Phillips version says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. Is that what you're hungry for? I mean, being satisfied means that you're hungry for the right things. You know, a life sold out to God or a life where God is everything. Now, what are you hungry for right now? I mean, the answer to that question is probably found in what you're already eating. 
I mean, it has a lot to do with your diet because our appetite tends to grow and to develop around the things that we are already consuming. I mean, if you've been on a diet before, you know this to be true. You know, maybe you decide that you're going to cut out all sugars and all sweets from your daily diet. I mean, you want to lose some weight. You want to feel better about yourself. And so day one, it might be a challenge. You know, it might be a challenge to go for that afternoon, you know, Diet Pepsi or that afternoon Mountain Dew or, or whatever it may be. But you push through. You know, you push through and you cut out the extra sweets and the extra sugars. But by the time day three or four rolls around, you really find out what you're made of. You know, that, that's when the pain starts to set in. You know, you can actually go through these withdrawals. You can become moody and irritable because your body wants these things. You know, they're not good for you. They're not, they're not healthy, but you still hunger for them because these sugars have been a part of your diet. And so how does that compare to your spiritual diet? You know, I know that part of my problem is that there are days and there are times in my life where I do not hunger for God like I should. You know, to be completely sold out saying that God is all I need and that that's it. And I think maybe we all struggle with that. You know, maybe you found that you have a stronger appetite for sexual pleasure right now. I mean, that's your greatest appetite. And if you get that fulfilled, you know, you think you're good. Or, or maybe you've got a stronger pleasure or appetite for new clothes, you know, or, or a stronger appetite for success or achievement or advancement or entertainment. I mean, what are you feeding on? What's in your diet? Because what you're eating oftentimes determines what you're really hungry for. I was reading about this really bizarre experiment that these scientists performed with rats. And they took these rats and they implanted into the center of the brain an electrode. They, they went into this space in the brain. It's actually what scientists call the pleasure center of your brain. And they implanted an electrode. And then they put the rat in a small room where there was one lever that if pulled would bring out food. But there was another lever that if pulled would activate this electrode in the pleasure center of the brains. And here's what they found. They found that the rat would continue to pull the lever that activated the electrode in the pleasure center of the rat's brain. And they would literally starve themselves. They, they wouldn't pull on the lever that they knew would provide the food that they need. They would always choose the pleasure over food. What lever are you pulling right now? I mean, is it all about pleasure? Is it all about what I need? This is what I need. This is what I want. It's all about me. When you know that there's a lever that's been provided that provides the, the food that we need. I mean, what lever will you choose? I mean, is it the bread of life or is it something else? Because what you're hungry for has a lot to do with what you're ordering. It has a lot to do with what you're already eating. So go back to the restaurant table for just a second. For just a moment, go back to the restaurant table and, and you're trying to decide what to get and the server will eventually come around to your table and here's what he or she will ask you. Have you made a decision? You know, have you decided what you want? And this is what Jesus is going to do with these people in John chapter 6 because he's going to ask them to make a decision. This crowd of 15,000, Jesus is getting tired of large crowds that are just simply following him to see what they can get out of it. He's tired of large crowds that want nothing more than this big show. Jesus is looking for followers, not fans, but followers. And Jesus wants people to want a relationship with him. And so here's what Jesus says to the crowd. Are you coming because you want free bread, or are you coming because you want to be with me? 
Are you coming because you want free bread or are you coming because you want to be with me? And here is what, here, here is what he wants to know from you and, and I think from me, from all of us. Here's what he wants to know from me and you. Are you coming because you want more from him or are you coming because you want more of him? I mean, there's a great difference. I mean, in whatever you call your spiritual life right now or just being here on Sundays, are you coming because you want more from him or are you becoming because you want more of him? I mean, there's a difference. And in John chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus says from, or the people say, from now on, give us this bread, give us this food. And the crowd still thinks that Jesus is talking about physical bread, but then he comes to the I am statement. He comes to the big statement that we're pointing at today. Verse 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, I am. I'm the satisfaction you've been looking for. I'm what's missing. Get past your physical desires, and you will find a true satisfaction in me. Now, there are some things that are going on here in this situation culturally that make this a pretty powerful statement, some things that we over, can, can overlook and miss. First, bread in those days for those people was the primary source of sustenance, and, and on many occasions, it was the main course. I mean, and so Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, I'm it. You know, I'm the main dish. I'm all you need to get by. I mean, we look at bread as an appetizer or just a side dish, but for them, bread was everything. I mean, it, it was their vitamins. You know, another important thing to understand is that everyone had access to bread. You know, the poor would bake bread with barley. The wealthier people would bake bread with wheat. Everyone had access to bread. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, I'm available to everyone. No one's left out in this. To this entire crowd, no one gets left out. It has nothing to do with who you are or how you act or how you live. I'm available to everyone. No one is left out. And so we've been looking at these I am statements. You know, Jesus said, I am the vine, I, I'm strength. Or I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You know, no one gets to heaven but through me. And here Jesus says, I am the bread. And these are exclusive claims that Jesus is making about himself. But the invitation is to everyone. Everyone is invited to come and eat. No one gets left out. Jesus Christ is the bread for everyone. And there's one other thing here that makes this statement significant. And yes, the bread of life, but another. And it's the I am part. You know, the word structure that Jesus uses here, he says, I am. And that would have taken the listeners back to Exodus chapter 3. doesn't mean a lot to us, but for the Jewish people that hear these words, I am, I mean, this is big time. This is so much more. And for those that had grown up in the Jewish tradition, which was most likely all of them, they immediately went back to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses was told by God to go to the Pharaoh and to say, release my people from Egypt. And Moses was kind of concerned with how all of this is going to work and what kind of influence he really had. And so he's got these questions for God. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, here's how Moses responds to God. He says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Well, then what am I supposed to tell them? So Moses is asking this of God. Well, here's what God replies. Say this to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14b. I am has sent me, has sent you. I am has sent you. And from this point on, these words, I am, 
were the name the Jewish people kept for God. And it was so sacred and it was so holy that they wouldn't even say the words themselves out of fear of what would happen by saying the very name of God. And so why is this such a big deal here in the book of John? Because it's a not-so-subtle way of Jesus saying, I'm God. I'm not just a good moral teacher. I am not just some guy who was born that has had influence for 2,000 years up till today. I am who I said I am. I am God. I, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And, and this is the first time we know of that Jesus made such a statement. The other statements we've looked at so far came right before his death. But this statement is early on. And now, at this point, with this great crowd, with the claims that Jesus just made, we're going to find out what the crowd's made of. We're going to find out who his real followers are because it's decision time. Look at John chapter 6 again, verse 41. So Jesus said these words. It says, At this Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, how can he make such a claim? I mean, we know who his parents are. We know where he lives. In case there's any doubt about the claim he's making here, Jesus expands on the issue even more. Verse 47, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. He who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may, not, may eat and not die. And so Jesus said, hey, just like God sent manna from heaven, he sent me to this earth from heaven. But here's the difference. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I am the bread, and I will give my life for the world. And then in verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I think we could insert the word satisfaction. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, eat and drink of me. And I know that sounds a little unusual, even a bit cannibalistic. But Jesus is using physical concepts like eating and drinking to communicate a spiritual truth because Jesus wants us to understand that just as we eat physical food to sustain and satisfy our physical appetite, we can eat of him to sustain and satisfy our spiritual selves or our souls. And so here's what Jesus wants from his followers. He's saying, you know, don't just come to me looking to eat physically, but come looking for a much deeper satisfaction to be met. I mean, the people here in the crowd are looking for more to eat, and Jesus, Jesus basically gives them a no. He says, you know what, no, this is it. This is where we draw the line. I'm not going to just give you bread. And he said, he says, you can have me, and... And then he waits to see if that will be enough. And, and this is a defining moment right here. This is a defining moment in Jesus' ministry. I mean, historically, things take a, a pretty drastic turn after this point where Jesus draws the line and asks people to make a decision. I mean, what were, the, what were they in it for? And I think it would be helpful for you and I to kind of step back once in a while and take a personal evaluation of where we are and ask why we're in it. 
You know, is Jesus the bread of life for us? Are you following Jesus to see what you can get out of it? Or are you following Jesus for the relationship? Or when bread doesn't fall from heaven in your life, there's, there's this reality check that we all have to face. I mean, it, it, sometimes it's in the most difficult seasons or the most difficult challenges of our life that the authenticity of our relationship with Jesus is tested. And when God doesn't do what we want, when God doesn't do the right thing in our life, or when Jesus doesn't come through like he should, I mean, how do you react? I mean, if you want to know where you are in your relationship with him right now, how do you react in those types of circumstances? Because it's in those moments when you find out what your relationship with him is all about. Well, in verse 66, people begin making their decisions. And it says, from this time, many of his disciples, not the 12, but the larger crowd, the 15,000, many of his followers turned back and no longer followed him. And, And so the crowd fades and Jesus discovers that many were coming because they They were wanting bread, but they were wanting bread and they were wanting the peanut butter and jelly too. I mean, they were wanting the good stuff. And I think there's something important to recognize here, and that is that you can follow Jesus without really being satisfied by him. I mean, you can come to church each week and you can read your Bibles and still not really find satisfaction in him. And so the question becomes, are are you looking for satisfaction? Or do you just want the peanut butter and jelly? Missionaries in third world countries have a term to describe Christians, some Christians. They, they call them rice Christians. And the idea is that there are all kinds of people who will quickly convert to Christianity in, the, Christianity's, Christianity in these countries for rice and, and for the physical benefit. But once the rice is gone, the people are gone too. And I'm not sure we're always that much different. I mean, I mean if, if all your goods were gone, would Jesus be enough for you? I, I mean, if, if the home was gone and the savings were to disappear and the cars were gone and your friends or, or God forbid, even your family, could Jesus be enough? I mean, would the bread of life be enough to satisfy you? And, and I think it's easy to come from the side of, well, what's in it for me? Or we're in it because we want something from him. And there are a lot of churches today that do a really good job of preaching the peanut butter and jelly. That you know what, if, if they say, hey, listen, if, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy and you're going to be wealthy and you're going to get all of this free bread and stuff. Jesus never said those things. He said, in this world, you will have trouble And when trouble comes, it reveals the most about your relationship with him and it shows us what our relationship is really like. Kind of like when the divorce is official or when the cancer returns or when the friendship comes to an end or when it feels like the foreclosure might be right around the corner. It's kind of another way of revealing how much we really want the bread of life. doesn't mean we have to be perfect through it doesn't mean that we won't be hurt or be angry by it. But when the tremors decrease, we recognize that Jesus could be enough. He could be what I need. 
C.S. Lewis talked about satisfaction this way. He said, a car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed a human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel or the spirits were designed to burn on the food, or I'm sorry, or the food, or our, our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. God cannot give us happiness can't give us satisfaction and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. And one of the things that can happen to us, and some of you have been there and you know it much better than I do, is to go through some hard times and the bread doesn't fall from heaven. But yet in some crazy way in the end, even if no one understands, you discover that Jesus is really enough that he satisfies. You realize that satisfaction only comes through him and that really he's everything you need. And so we've got this crowd and a large part of them walks away. They go home and if Jesus isn't going to give free handouts, they're not interested. And then in verse 67, finally, Jesus says, hey, you don't want to leave too, do you? And we don't know if he was angry or if he was frustrated or if he was sad, but he, but he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, do you want to leave too? I mean, to think these people were so close. They had been waiting for the Messiah and he was standing right in front of them. And they had a choice to make. And so he says to his disciples, hey, do you want to leave too? And in verse 68, I love Peter's response here. He says, Lord, where in the world would we go? I mean, you have the very words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And so Peter got it. I mean, he understood what Jesus was teaching about. I mean, there's nothing else on the menu that will satisfy. Everything else falls short. He's it. It's Jesus. There's no place on earth where we could go where we could really find anything greater than Jesus. And as I read this verse, I can't help but ask, I wonder if I could have the same desperation as Peter does that in the end, if it were to all be taken away, that Jesus would be enough. That Jesus, as the bread of life, would be enough to sustain me, that he would satisfy me, and that he's all that I really need. And I wonder if you'd be asking today if your life could be the same. That Jesus could be enough. I mean, what could it mean for this church community, you know, to be a place where people seek God with all their heart, soul, and mind? Are you hungry for that kind of life? You know, are you ready to make Jesus everything? And you know, maybe some of you are here today and you you don't feel very hungry for the bread of life. You know, maybe you went to church as a kid and and you weren't really into it. It was boring and you got out of high school and you don't even really want to be here today, you know, but, but somebody brought you along. And you're not into it and you don't see it and you're not hungry. You know, they say it's difficult to get starving, malnourished children in Africa to eat. That when they don't have food, they'll literally use up all of their fat and their muscles until they're just, they're just skin and bones. And, and their stomachs are bloated, and their back's hair, black hair turns red and dries out, and their skin dries out, and they're malnourished. But there's another thing that happens to these children. They lose their appetite. You know, that they're starving, but they're not hungry. And if you have a piece of bread, chances are that they'll refuse it. They don't want it. And that kind of happens to us spiritually. You know, we're starving, 
but we're not really hungry. And your soul is malnourished, but you don't really want to eat. And so these workers in Africa, they'll take a piece of bread or food and they'll just start forcing it into a child's mouth. Because they think if they can force it into a child's mouth and just get him to chew a couple of bites and swallow it and taste it, that their appetite will return. Here's one thing that we'll never do at Genesis and I won't ever do is I won't force it. I'm not going to force it down your throat. And I, w- I wish that I knew how to get hungry people to eat. And I don't know how to do it, and I wish I did, but I know that this morning there's some of you that you need to take a bite. And I think in doing so, you would find something that you've been searching for all along, and you've been looking for it in other things, and it's not proving to be true anywhere else, and it's only found in Jesus Christ, and that he is the bread of life. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you would just try it, I believe your appetite would come alive. Friends, our satisfaction is only found in Jesus. And many times we just kind of sit at the table and we just sort of flip through the menu and we try different things out. You know, what else is there? Is there something else? There's got to be more than this. I mean, what is it that will ultimately satisfy? It's Jesus. He's the only thing that will satisfy If you'd like to talk about that this morning, we'd be glad to meet you up front afterwards. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, my prayer this morning is that every single one of us would take just a moment and ask ourselves the question, what is it that I'm really eating? What's my diet? What am I hungry for? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And God, I pray that you just work through that question with us and whatever it is that you need to do in our hearts this morning, I pray that you'd reveal that to us. For those that know Jesus but just kind of realize they've gotten away from that that diet, God, I I pray that this morning would be a a morning where we decide that we want to get back on track that we want to hunger for Jesus and make him the bread of life. And for those this morning who are here, God, and, and aren't really hungry and aren't quite sure what to do with this information, God, I know that you can help them understand it so that they can believe it for themselves and see the difference and the satisfaction that only Jesus can bring. Thank you for your son, Jesus, for everything that he means to us. In his name, amen. Amen. Amen.